Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Endangered African species like elephants, rhinos, lions march closer to extinction each year. The devastating decline is fueled in part by a global desire to consume these majestic animals. Trophy, the film Trophy, investigates the powerhouse industries of big game hunting, breeding, and wildlife conservation through the eyes of impassioned individuals who drive these industries from a Texas-based trophy hunter to the world's largest private rhino breeder in South Africa. The film grapples with the consequences of imposing economic values on animals. Wow, that it is a lot, and this is a lot of film. There's a tremendous amount of information in in this film in terms of whatever your beliefs are, whatever you come into this film with, you will be challenged, and uh, that makes, for my from my point of view, a great film. We're fortunate and lucky enough to have with us today the two the directors, the co-directors of Trophy. That would be Joel Schwartz and Christina Clajo. Thank you so much for being on Film School. Thank you. Great to be here. Yeah, thank you so much. Um, it is, uh, as I said in the intro, it's it's just a very challenging film, and I'm just curious how you came to the film. What was it? Where were you and sort of what occurred to you that you decided uh, that you wanted to collaborate on a film like this, on like Trophy? You know, we were sitting in our kitchen on a Friday evening, and Joel was looking online, and he came across a photograph of a hunter standing over an animal he had just hunted. And he screamed to me, and he was outraged, and he couldn't believe it. How can this, how can people buy hunts, and is this legal? And, you know, I, from the background, I was probably washing dishes or something, you know, yelled, it's it's trophy hunting, so it's legal. People do this. And I think that kind of started the whole conversation is I, I think he, he can speak more to his upbringing, but growing up in Israel, he didn't have any experience with hunting of animals. And I, growing up in northern Minnesota, I had a much more relationship, although I was not a hunter. As a kid, I sat in deer stands, and, you know, it was all always all around me. And so we kind of took that anger and said, okay, maybe there's a film here. And initially, I think we wanted to shame this industry and say that this is not correct. This is not right. This is not fair, that we shouldn't be hunting these animals. And as we got dove deeper into it, we realized that it was much more complex and much more gray than our preconceived notions of it being very black and white. And we... We started by going to Safari Club International, which is this huge convention in Las Vegas, and we were just shocked. It was just a huge market, and here was AIG selling insurance and Nikon selling binoculars and everybody participating in the NRA, and I was even more frustrated. And then they started telling us, well, all this money is what makes this possible to conserve with because there's a lot of money in this industry. And at first, you, we, it's just angering, and then you start understanding that we do need money to conserve, and where could that money come from? And hunting certainly could be one of the avenues it comes from. And I think that's when we decided to make it, if you will, an economic film mm-hmm. and give voice to this, what was very strange to me, people who believe that 
theory of if it pays, it stays. If I can create money on this wildlife, then humanity has a reason to protect it. And um, it's a gray world, as Christina said. There's no right or wrong. Yeah, there really is. And I will betray my prejudice coming into the film because when I found out what it was about, sort of didn't watch the trailer, uh, I certainly come from it from the point of view that, uh, you know, this is awful. This is a terrible thing that's done. Uh, and as you so rightfully identified in setting this up for your own project, the commodification of these animals is, to me, and just feels inherently wrong. And it also, in my opinion, misses the point. These these animals are going extinct. Us kind of batting them around for our pleasure isn't really helping the process in my opinion. Anyway. I don't want to get too far down. This is not about me. It's about your film. And one of the, the, the strengths of the film is that you give everyone in the film fair, a fair shot to, to essentially make their case or tell their story. Um, I'm curious how you got to know. I mean, you said you went to the convention. Did you meet uh, Philip Glass there? How did you get in touch with Philip Glass? Where did he come from? So we met, we didn't actually meet Philip at the convention. We met a lot of other hunters that we kind of started to work with and spend time with, but for one way or another, a lot of these hunters didn't work out. Either they weren't the right choice for us to yeah. cast as characters, or vice versa, they weren't so interested in being in part of the film. And Philip came to us um, through a hunting outfitter that we were introduced to, and she, the woman said, you know, I have a great guy that's probably going to be interested in you coming on a hunt with him. And so we went on an elephant hunt with them. We went to Namibia. We hadn't talked to him beforehand, and we met him in the airport. And it was actually kind of interesting. It was a test run for us because we said, you know, okay, is this going to work out? Is he going to be charismatic? Are we going to like each other? Is it going to be a, you know, a kindred relationship? And to our surprise, or not to our surprise, it really was. And I think from there on, Philip is an interesting character because how he is off camera is how he is on camera. And I think as a character, it was really important to us to be able to have these real conversations about conservation and wildlife and not agree, but still be able to turn on the camera and still have those same conversations and have the same, have respect for one another. Right. People always ask us, how do you get access to this closed world of people like Philip? And the answer is, uh, this shocking thing. We told him the truth. Hi, Philip. We completely don't understand, don't agree with you. Why don't you tell us why? And so there is something kind of strange about actually not trying to convince that you agree or understand. Um, you know, Philip tells, for example, this story of how he shot when he was a kid his first bird, and he admired much more this bird dead in his hand than alive and you know you just want to choke him yeah and i'm like you and i to some degree i've changed to some degrees i stayed this way and what i've learned and what i'm asking i guess people watching trophy and wanting to watch it is let's forget if you know it, it, it's a weird notion to want a lion on a wall i don't want it certainly <laughs> but is there a portion of that call it psychotic maybe that can be used for conservation. Now, two yeah. years ago, I said, no! Yeah. Now, I beg to differ. I'm not saying it always works by any means, 
But I'm saying it's much more complex than the emotional reaction we have. And I'm pretty sure when you see the film, you all understand why I'm saying it. My biggest fear to some degree is because of the emotional reaction to the subject, because animals die, we've had animal lovers come and say, I'll never watch this. And to me, not participating is the worst. Um, And I also come from a school that, as a journalist, as a filmmaker, we listen to those who are different than us. This is something we don't do often enough, particularly in the U.S. in this day and age. And so I think in this film, we practice that. And, and, and I think we're rewarded in that sense that it is complex and it is interesting to see the other side. And no, I don't agree with everything, but I learned a lot. And I think you, the viewer, will too if you dare put yourself through that. And I, I, I agree with everything that you just said, Shaul, uh, that it is, in fact, it's always better to know all sides of, of an issue, of a topic, in order to better argue for your case. And that's what I would say for anyone on this spectrum of how you feel about trophy hunting. You, I think anyone who watches this film will have a much better understanding and a, and a more uh, – well-rounded argument to be made for their side. And I agree with you on the on what uh, John Hume was doing with the rhinos. I think, sure, if this is going to, you know, I don't want to give too much away. I want people to see Trophy. And by the way, I want to let people know they can go to trophy.film.com, right, to, to see. Is that the uh, Just trophy.film actually takes you. You don't oh, okay. have to do the .com. Gotcha. We shortened it. Yeah, it's weird, yeah, that you're all through me. Okay, yeah, it's trophy.film, and you can find out. And this will tell you uh, what you need. And also, uh, as far as Philip is concerned, you know, it's possible to to disagree without being disagreeable. And he is he is he seems like I would like him. I would if I met him and talked to him. But there is an element in here and you 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 do confront it in the film a little bit. You bring it up at least. There's sort of a, a religious perspective that comes along with this on top of everything. I mean, on top of everything is money. But on underneath, it's sort of supported. But for people who are into this, in this, in my way of thinking, just this kind of patina of religion, we shall um, shepherd the earth. Uh, this, these rhino, the rhinos are worth something on a spiritual level to people all around the world. Is that? Am I off on on, on seeing that perspective in the film? No, I think it's. I think you're you're right on with that. I think it on twofold. You know this belief of the rhino horn that exists in other parts of the world is a real deep-seated belief that's been there for a long time. You know, it's an aphrodisiac, it's used as ornamental, it's used in business, and people really believe it. And along with the, you know, thinking about creationism and Philip and how he really believes that man has dominion over animals is a deep-seated belief in him. And I think you know, these things enter into the film with that. And I think with Philip, I think I initially, there was a point where I wanted him to have an epiphany. I wanted him to look at his world and put a mirror up to him and say that, no, this hunting is not right. I should change my mind. I shouldn't be doing it. And it never happened in our experience. And so I think it reconfirmed him as a character especially when he started to talk about dominion over animals, is that how this deep belief is really what he believes. Mm-hmm. Remind our listeners, we're speaking with Shaul Schwartz, as well as Christina Klaschow, the co-directors of the film um, Trophy. And 
You're absolutely right. On I mean, this again, I really urge people to see this film because while it may sound uncomfortable, and there are times in the film when for people who don't think this is a good idea, very uncomfortable, but you have to be able to look these kinds of issues straight in the eye and understand more about them. And that is that is really it's so important for so many other issues. You mentioned abortion. There's so many other things about our world. We information shop now, and we can't do that anymore. We don't have the luxury of looking around for what we think is the truth. We have to try and figure this stuff out. Um, there is one thing that, Philip, I keep sort of focusing on Phillips, although I want to get to John Hume. But when w- there there is an arc to his character when he, at the near the, I don't want to give too much away, when he, sh- his reaction in the last kill in, in the film is uh, is quite, in my mind telling and it goes back to what he said initially when he shot the red bird and he felt a deeper love for that than he felt for anything or something along those lines there is something that he, that reaction for me was I'll put it as hope for him but it but it was something that's obviously very deeply felt on his part yeah I, I think to us who mm, us as in people who like me probably like you who never want to kill an animal certainly not to hang it on a wall um the on the thought that somebody would become emotional or this would mean the world to him is ununderstood nor the celebrating its beauty if it's beautiful leave it alone don't kill it yeah um clearly uh in philip's mind that's a little different um i think he feels by for example, hunting a lion, that he's climbed the Everest, that this is a lifelong pursuit and he's just made it to the top. Um, I'll be honest, for me personal, for a long time, this felt psychotic to some degree and pervert. And I have heard hunters many times say that they don't enjoy the kill. It's about the whole thing. And I believe him partially. I think many of them do enjoy the kill. Um, But... What I, and again, going back to the philosophy of the film, what I ask you, the viewer, to go past is it doesn't matter if we agree with him or not. Can this help? I know it sounds bizarre, killing one to save the other. But I think there is, again, in some cases, in some places, a good argument for it, and in others, not. And so what I personally, as someone who is very far from trophy hunting, did is stop asking to understand the emotional side of someone who enjoys the act and rather ask myself to think about the consequences of what it could bring to the table. Yes. Amen. And uh, there are so many other characters in the film or people that you talk to, Christo Gomes. Uh, there are t- lots and lots of perspectives in the film. and uh, But one that's obviously one of the more intriguing and certainly one of the more, I'll say, hopeful is John, uh, John Hume and his approach to how he uh, is raising several hundred rhino. And, and I had no idea how benign these, uh, these animals were. I've seen them in films and all nature films. I didn't really understand just as much about them as I'd got from watching Trophy. And, um, gosh, another very compelling and interesting man, a man who's put his money where his mouth is. Mm -hmm. Tell us a little bit. John is amazing. I think it's the person we've grown the closest to in the film. And to some degree, we believe in his cause more than others. Um, Ironically, again, we were introduced to him as this um, devil who wants to just profit. And we met a man 
like you were saying, whose wholehearted belief is that he is trying to do good, and he's bred, by the way, he has 1,500 rhinos, which is no joke. It's 5% of the world's rhinos. So he's bred more rhinos than anyone else in the world, um, yet people tend to really hate him. And in really short, he is saying, well, let's legalize the trade in rhino horn because they have the world's most expensive animal asset. Instead of having that what kill them, let's use that. You can cut the rhino, the rhino horn off and it just grows back. The procedure is actually quite short and non-painful to the animal, yet the product is worth more than gold. And if we put that to use, well, surely we can grow. For example, these people who are poaching and killing our rhinos, they do it and they get obviously one rhino because they've killed the animal. What if we taught them to do this? They could do it eight to ten times in a rhino's life. Thus, they would protect that rhino rather than kill it. Um, And so his argument and the way he wants to use these animals is different than others because he wants to supply the demand from live rhinos rather than from dead. It's amazing. Go ahead, ahead, Christine. uh, I just want to say it's also interesting to note that, you know, at this point in history, there's 25,000 white rhinos left. And most of them are in South Africa, 80% or so. And in Kruger Park, the national park, they're losing three or four a day. And I think the option of trying to conserve these species and bring them back from the edge of extinction is what we've been doing so far is not working. And so to kind of rethink that whole process and use John as an example is that maybe this idea of supplying, you know, the demand with live rhinos instead of dead rhinos may just work. And it may provide enough time for these, the numbers of these animals to get higher and there's other solutions around it. You know, you make it legal, you tax him, you say for every five rhinos that he harvests the horn, one has to be released into the wild. There's so many things that can be worked with that. I just think people have to have an open mind that maybe this is the solution instead of just casting it off is that he is a greedy individual and just wants to profit off of right, it. Right. Because I don't think that's the case at all. Well, if he wanted, in my opinion, if he wanted to profit, he could be selling these horns on the black market and be an extremely wealthy man. Uh, but I, I think part of his issue, his, part of his problem is that he is a he is a quiet voice, in, relatively speaking, in a room full of people that are yelling at each other. <laughs> yeah, that's yes. a good way to put it. And, you know, Mike, uh, there's, there's, this, there's this idea with John that, um, again, he, he wants to do something that's so unpopular that I think ideologically as people, we just want to say, you know what, let's keep the wild wild, not touch him, don't mess with it, it's doing just fine before we came, why are we doing this? Yes. Let's just, you know, we get this all the time, we should just hunt down the poachers and kill them. (laughs) And that's like saying, (laughs) drugs are bad for you, let's make a drug war, it's certainly going to work. And here we are 40 years into the disaster. Right. And nothing has worked. And and it just boggles my mind because I think the main reason is our unwillingness to accept that the world is not perfect. And we conducted an interview with uh, 
a born born free uh, uh, member, and we asked them, and we said, and this is not in the movie. Uh, he, what do you think about John Hume? And he was against the breeding and against the process, not surprisingly. And the camera shuts off, and I said, sir, without giving his name, would you rather see a world with no rhinos? or rhinos being semi-domesticated to keep it. And he said, I'd rather see a world with no rhinos. And it shocked me. And I said, would you say it to camera? And he said, no way. And I think we have to come to terms that if we are not willing to budge off this perfection ideal, we're going to lose some of these animals. Yeah, we are. And it's, it's not a million years away. We're talking about 10, 15 years away. And I think people have to be a little less naive than saying, oh, let's keep the wild wild and not mess with it, and really say, what what's the tools we have? How do we use these different tools? Right. Like hunting, but certainly in the case of rhinos, where the animal does not have to pay with its life. It's it's certainly better than growing pigs for bacon in farms. Right. John has the, the welfare level very high for his animals. Yeah. Um, and, and that's the main thing we don't do well as a society. We'd rather believe in very simple slogan than dig deep in and say what the real consequences would be. Well, I think that's a wonderful place to put it. I, well, just one quick comment, and that is 7 billion people and growing, that ship has sailed. The wildlife is no longer wild, and it's barely alive. So we've got to do something along the lines of what you're describing. Um, thank you so much, Shaul uh, Schwartz and uh, Christina Klauschow, for your time and for this wonderful film, Trophy. And it opens here in Los Angeles, actually Santa Monica Film Center, on September 15th. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for the film, and thank you so much for being a part of Film School. By the way, on that opening night on September 15th, I don't know if you want to mention, uh, John Hume will be here for the Q&A, and it's going to be hosted by Alec Baldwin, which we're very grateful and excited that someone from that side of anti is willing and has shown that he's uh he's this made his film has made him think and we hope that will be the case for many fantastic well that's great news thank you uh uh and christina for for your time today and thank you for the trophy thank you take care hi thanks mike You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio.